0: All right, we are in 2 Corinthians. We're supposed to be moving at a pretty fast pace through this letter. We're going to slow down, Uh, just subject matter of where we are this morning. So 2 Corinthians chapter 3 is what we're going to cover. It is a short chapter, but we're going to spend a lot of time in the Old Testament this morning. And all of the glory of the Old Testament and really press into the understanding of how much more glorious the New Testament is, so here we go second corinthians chapter three we 're just going to jump into the middle of the context um, in chapter two verse thirteen. Paul makes this comment that he departed for Macedonia. In chapter 7, verse 5, we see it says, when we came to Macedonia. So the whole subject matter in between is known by the commentaries as the great digression. So Paul is interacting with his brothers and sisters in a community where there's some tension in their relationships. And as he's dealing with the tension in those relationships, he's repeatedly taking them and he repeatedly takes us back to who God is, what it is that God has done, who we are in him, what our relationship with him is all about, what our relationship with one another is about, and what we're doing in this world as we are sharing the gospel. To some, he says, we're the aroma of death, but to the others... The aroma of life. Jesus is, what a wonderful fragrance. Chapter three, verse one. Do we, get, do we begin again to commend ourselves? Or do we need, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? You are our epistle written on our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. And we have such trust through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, was glorious... So that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory. The ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory." For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect, because of the glory that excels. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Therefore, since we have such hope, we shall use great boldness of speech, unlike Moses who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. But their minds were blinded, literally hardened. Their minds were hard. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Man, what a powerful words. Back up to the beginning here of chapter 3. Paul talking about this this idea of you know is he commending himself? So in this in this whole letter Paul is spending a lot of time defending himself, defending who he is in Christ, defending who he is as being a minister of Christ, being sent to this community of Corinth by the Lord, sharing the gospel, the new covenant, as a minister of the new covenant to those in Corinth. And this is is what he's saying Do, Do I need somebody to give to me a diploma? Do I need to come to you with this this writing, this certificate of my expertise? Do I need to have somebody give me a a letter of recommendation? So in our culture, it'd be, um, you guys all have a resume. Here are all of your qualifications. So this is, you know, our resumes, these are, you're supposed to brag about yourself. This is what I know, this is my education, this is my experience, this is what I can do for you, hire me. Well, for a hiring manager, how are they going to believe those words that you've written about yourself? It needs to be supported. It needs to be backed up with something. So a good hiring manager is going to read through your resume, go through an interview process, and then what are they going to do? They're going to check your, your references, your letters of commendation, other, other people that can Provide testimony to the truth of your words, to the truth of your personality, to the truth of your ability. And Paul is looking at this community and he's reminding this community, I don't need to come to you with my resume. I don't need to come to you with letters of recommendation from other communities about who I am in Christ and about the truth that I'm, that I'm sharing with you. You all... Received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior through me coming to this community and proclaiming the gospel. You know Jesus because of me, and they know that they have this relationship. And again, there's there's uh, the tension in the community. and in the, in the first letter of Corinthians, we see that. You know, there's different factions because we'll elevate one man against another and those kinds of things. But Paul's reminding them of who he is as a minister of the new covenant. And again, in, in this, we're gonna go we're gonna go spend a bunch of time in the old testament. But this is the whole idea that where Paul is picking up on the language through the rest of this chapter. This idea of that you are a letter written upon my heart and upon your heart also. The, the spirit of the Lord is the one that is engraving our life experiences together in Jesus. This isn't, this isn't a letter written with ink. It's not, it's not engraved in stone, something that's going to be more permanent. The spirit of God is writing these life experiences in Jesus that we have individually with him and together with him. He's writing these things upon our heart. And all you have to do is take a moment and just meditate on your experiences with your brothers and sisters in Christ over the years. And when you sit and just think, if I gave you a moment to think, those things that immediately come to your mind, those are those relationships where the Lord, the Spirit of God has written those experiences upon your heart. And this is what Paul is saying, and this is what he's addressing, but not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the flesh, that is our heart. And he's not bragging about self. We're not sufficient in ourselves. God is the one who makes us sufficient. He is the one who makes us adequate. He is the one who qualifies us as ministers of the new covenant. Not of the letter of the spirit. Not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Titled this morning's message, Letter Kills. It's kind of a a nod to a friend in Salt Lake. He had a band titled Letter Kills. Um sorry, that's my own little geek out moment. So hold your place here in Second Corinthians, and we're going to look at the declaration of the new covenant first. So turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah 31. So what is this new covenant? We're going to sit in communion together after the message as, as we turn our hearts just back to vocal worship and meditation before the Lord. Jesus tells us that as he sat down at that last supper, that Passover meal with the disciples, that as they, as they broke the bread that the bread represents his body that is broken, that it was given on behalf of all men and women for the remission of sins, for the taking away of our sins. And the cup, he identifies it's, it's, the, it's the blood of the new covenant. His blood being shed because in in the blood, his life, and all the declaration, all the imagery that we have of that, that the old in the Old Testament. But again, Jesus declaring. This is what we're doing Is we remember Jesus in communion, remembering his body, remembering the blood, remembering the new covenant, the new promise. So in Jeremiah 31, so re, uh, you have to sit in the context. Jeremiah was a prophet sent by God to the nation of Israel right before God is going to use the Babylonians to come and destroy the temple, destroy Jerusalem, and carry away the children of Israel into captivity, fulfilling the curses of the Old Testament because the Jews failed in that old covenant. And here, Jeremiah is reminding them of who God is, reminding them of who they are, what they've done, reminding them of God's promises. Jeremiah is a man who was persecuted. Jeremiah was a man who was frustrated. Jeremiah was a man who wanted to stop preaching God's word to his culture, but God wouldn't let him. Jeremiah watched the temple of God destroyed. God watched the city of Jerusalem be destroyed. Lamentations is his lament, not just for stones, but for broken people that have every opportunity that we have to be restored in God, to watch them just lose it all. And again, we can sit in this in our own culture as we hear the gospel preached all the time, yes? And we watch our culture... Slide further and further away from the Creator. But here's God's promise. Jeremiah thirty-one, thirty-one. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, divided kingdom, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke though I was a husband to them says the Lord but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days says the Lord I will put my law in their minds I will write it on their hearts I will be their God and they shall be my people No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. That covenant is fulfilled In God's son, Jesus, the new covenant, God's law as we we come to Jesus. Not the law, not the letter of the law of the old covenant, but the law of Christ, written where? It's put into our minds, it's written on our hearts. He, the creator of the heavens and the earth, he is our God, we are his people. I don't need to tell you to know the Lord. You have the Spirit of God speaking to you every single day. Know me, child. Seek me. Learn from me. Take my yoke upon you. And this knowledge that our iniquities, our sins, our death, forgiven and remembered by God no more. Turn over to Ezekiel. Ezekiel is a prophet while uh, Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel is a prophet after Jeremiah. So he is sitting in captivity in Babylon. God is speaking to him to speak to the people. And again, gives us promise of the renewal of Israel. So um, I'll let you read through more of the context on your own. It begins in 36, 16. Uh, But we're going to pick it up in verse 22. Thus says the Lord God, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations. And I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord. We can sit in the history of the church also in this, where the name of Jesus has been profaned by those who, who take his name. We are to be a testimony. We are to be a salt and light in the communities in which we live so that the nations, so that your neighbors, so that your household will know that He is Yahweh, says the Lord God. When I am hallowed in you before their eyes. Verse 24, For I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all countries, and bring you into your own land. Then... I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take out the heart of stone of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people, and I will be your God. I will deliver you from all your uncleanness. And he goes on. Very last verse the ruined cities shall be filled with flocks of men then they shall know that i am the lord verse 37 is that whole vision of the valley of dry bones where bones all come together and they are filled with the spirits and they become loving again living again all of that imagery all right turn to exodus 19. So, we read in Jeremiah and in Ezekiel to get the context of what God is promising in regards to the new covenant. Because there is something in regards to the old covenant that was powerless. So, we just read in 2 Corinthians, and this is, this is what stopped me in my tracks as I was studying for this weekend. The old covenant, the Old Testament, is identified by Paul as the ministry of, of death the ministry of condemnation so when we sit in the words of the law of the old testament when when you have so Sit in Paul's words identifying the Old Testament as the ministry of death and the ministry of condemnation. And now we're gonna sit in the context of the glorious event of God speaking the Old Covenant. And how do you identify we have, we have the Ten Commandments in the wall over the drinking fountain in the foyer. We fight for the Ten Commandments to be kept in our public spaces and our nation, to be reminded of God's law. And we are told in the New Covenant, through the New Covenant, that the Old Covenant is the ministry of death and condemnation. Listen to God's words. God spoke in, in Exodus 20. This is after he has saved them. This is, they are three months saved from the slavery in Egypt. God has already been testing them as he is leading them through the way of the wild, is what I like to call it. He's leading them through the way of the wilderness. God is testing them. He is exposing their hearts to themselves. He brings them to the foot of Mount Sinai, and these words God speaks To not just Moses, but to the whole culture, all the men, all the women, all the kids, everybody heard the voice of the Almighty God. Can you imagine? And here they are. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thank you, Jesus, for saving us. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the waters under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. That has absolutely nothing to do with cussing and using bad language taking the name of the lord your god is identifying yourself with him it's not to be an empty relationship the lord will not hold him guiltless him who takes his name in vain remember the sabbath to keep it holy six days you shall labor and do all your work but the seventh day is the sabbath of the lord your god in it you shall do no work you nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. So what do you think of that? Pretty straightforward. I'm God. I created the heavens and the earth. You're to have no other gods before me. You're not to have, you're not to make any God for yourself, whether you're making it out of stone, out of wood, or even in the imaginations of your heart, you will have no other God in you or before you in your relationship with me. You agree to that? Yearn for that. How about your relationships with other human beings? It's not, it's not too hard not to murder people. We're probably all guilty of stealing. We may have not committed physical adultery, but again, Jesus wakes us up to the reality that these are all addressing conditions of the heart. You may have not have had physical adultery with somebody, but every single man and woman in this room has committed lust in the mind and lust in, the heart, in, their, in their hearts against their spouse and ultimately against God. We have, every single one of us knows what it's like to covet. All of us know what it's like to want to have something that somebody else has that we don't have, and I want it. It's, again, it's exposing all the conditions of the heart. So we stand in agreement with this, like the almighty God who created the heavens and the earth spoke these words. This, this, is, this is something in God's word that is just, it always has astounded me. Can you imagine being at the foot of the mountain and hearing that voice? Can you imagine? I'm jealous. I've coveted being in that position. I would love to have so many of the experiences of, the, the, of what we read in the, in the word of God. It's been Awesome. It was a glorious thing. These are glorious words. These are holy words. These are right words. The issue with these words is they do not give the power to perform. And that's the whole issue with the Old Testament. The Old Covenant, it is a system of performance. Here is who God is. Here is your brokenness. Here is your separation from the Holy God, your sin. Here's how you have a relationship with me. And if you don't do it through this system, everything is blocked. When you sit in the context of what's going on in Exodus, as God is delivering them, he creates all of these levels of separation. And in the building of the tabernacle, the community is surrounding this, this structure that's in the middle. Only certain people are allowed into the court. Only certain people are allowed into the tent. Only one person is allowed to the place where the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat is placed where God says, here is where I'm going to meet with you. And all of that is behind these multiple layers. Again, God creating declaring this is how you will be a holy community that is set apart from the other nations. You are going to be in the midst of these other nations. You are to be a light. You are to be a witness so that all of the other nations will know that I and I alone am God. Again, this goes back to the original calling of Abraham. Abraham was called out of a culture that was worshiping idols. Post-flood, all of humanity is already worshiping idols. All of the descriptions that we have in the Old Covenant, the system of being cleansed, the system of being cured, it is, it is a revelation that this is impossible to perform. Again, like in the, in, when you sit into the Ten Commandments specifically, it's often always, not often, it's always broken into, here's your relationship with God, and here's your relationship with other people. But it's that last one that talks about covetousness that really... Uh, reveals what God is speaking to the rest of them, that he's dealing with our hearts. Because covetousness isn't a it's, not a, it's not an outward act, it's internal thoughts that motivate and influence outward acts and words. But in all of this, he's, he's exposing our issue. He's exposing this hard heart that's called a stone that's called you know it's this uh in in earlier in exodus what does it say about pharaoh's heart as pharaoh is exposed to who god is what does pharaoh do his heart becomes hard and harder and harder and then we have a description that god is hardening in his heart God is turning this man over to his sin. You can sit in Romans chapter 1 with the same kind of language in regards to the hardness of humanity's heart. So in all of this, ultimately, what is God trying to reveal? Turn to Genesis 1, and then we're going to get back to 2 Corinthians. In Genesis 1, we have in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So I ask you, why? Why did, why did God create the heavens and the earth? What is, what's he trying to do? In Genesis 1, we see, you know, the, ultimately we can see that the, the sun, the moon, the stars, this planet, the animals, the plants, everything was created for an environment for the ones that he said, I am creating this Man, male and female, in my image, in my likeness. So what is God doing ultimately through creation? Through the whole reason God has done what he has done is to express himself. He created us to be in his image and in his likeness. We are to image himself back to him. And what's up with the universe? Why is, it, why is it so big? Why is it so vast? The stars are absolutely meaningless apart from declaring to us how powerful this being is. You put every, every single scientific means that we have to explore the universe, there's, there's no point to it at all rather than demonstrating the power and the glory and the creativity of the being who did all this. And all of that is to reveal himself to those he created to be in his image. And the context of Genesis is God did it all. And here's how it broke. Because those who were to image him ended up imaging something else. And in that act of disobedience, of doing what God said not to do, enters in this thing that's called sin, missing the mark, disobeying God. It it reveals, even in Adam and Eve, a hardness towards God that was already developing before their action. You can see the enemy sitting there chattering away, and then all of God's creation, what he created to be an environment for those that he created in his image, now it's all decaying, breaking, um, it's destruction, going towards chaos. And then the Old Testament, again, example after example, you know, story after story, account after account, the whole thread of it is God revealing himself to his creation and every single one of us is standing before him in the position of a hard heart. Every single one of us is standing before him in the position incapable of making ourselves clean, incapable of making ourselves holy. Even Even if we've had a great past and we've had just little mistakes and that kind of stuff, from this day forward, the Old Testament reveals to us it is impossible For us to obey what he has told us to do. Even in the littlest of things, we're gonna end up violating it, and we have violated it. But the Old Testament is not evil, it's not bad, it is glorious. Through the words of the Old Testament, we have the Almighty God revealing himself. He is life. He reveals to us his life. He is love. He reveals to us his love. He reveals to us our brokenness. He reveals to us the the, just the depravity of idolatry, the emptiness of it. The emptiness of attempting to live a life apart from the Creator. Impossible. But it's glorious. It's good. But turning back to 2 Corinthians, that those glorious words of the Ten Commandments, she sit in the context of, of what goes on um, as Moses is up on Mount Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights. The people are down below. Their hearts turn to idolatry. God tells Moses to get down The the tablets of stone that had the Ten Commandments written with the finger of God are in Moses' hands. When he comes down and he sees what the people are doing, can you imagine casting those things to the ground and breaking them? How valuable of a possession do you think that that was to have in Moses' hands? And then he takes that... (laughs) Has God ever handed anything to you physically? Do you think you'd pretty much cherish that? Moses would be just like us, and then he casts it down in anger. He grinds up their idol of gold into powder and makes them drink it. And then you watch Moses intercede. He is, a, he is a type of Jesus. You watch God the Son intercede on our behalf. He knows their sin Jesus knows our sin, and he still petitions, God, God, I know that we are hard-hearted. I know that we are stiff-necked. Don't take your spirit away from us. Don't take your life from us. Don't take your presence for us. Don't stop loving us. Cleanse us. Help us. This is where you sit in the section there in Moses. God, I want to see your glory. Show me your glory. I read through that passage last week of God putting Moses in the cleft of the rock, declaring his name. And then out of that, that, that section, they're sitting in all of their, they're sitting in their sin, and now they're sitting in the forgiveness of God. God confirms with them the old covenant in Exodus 34. And it's at the end of that that we have this description where Moses, as he goes in before the Lord, he is face-to-face with God, which we believe is, there you have God the Son wrapped in human flesh, speaking these words to Moses face-to-face in this intimate relationship. When Moses comes out of that tent and he gives the word to the people, what's going on with his face? He's glowing. He's radiating the image of God. And people are scared, just as you would be. He puts a veil on his face. But we're told in the New Testament here in Second Corinthians, the veil that he wraps himself up with, it's not so much to keep people from being afraid of him, it's to keep people from watching that glory fade because it's a picture of the Old Testament. It's fading away. It is not permanent. It was not meant to be permanent. It was not meant to save us. It was meant to expose our hearts. Old Testament and New Testament, salvation is always by faith in God. And it's always been God who is the one who is in humanity empowering us to be able to be obedient to him at all. He is the one that is removing the heart of stone, removing the heart of rebellion, removing the heart of disobedience, removing the heart of apathy, and I just don't care, and places within us a heart of flesh. Old covenant is identified as the ministry of death, identified as the ministry of condemnation, places all of us under the condemnation of God, the judgment of God. But that's not what we're ministers of. That's not what we're serving. We are ministers of the new covenant. And in verse 8, that is the ministry of the Spirit. In verse 9, it's called the ministry of righteousness. Righteousness. And the new covenant, he uses this language and it's, it's a, you know, the, the language of the day in, in arguing and proving your case. How much more glorious. The old covenant is glorious, but it's as though it has absolutely no glory whatsoever. Why? Because the new covenant is so much more. Jesus is better. The old covenant is passing away and it was glorious, but that which remains, the new covenant, more glorious. And here's the therefore statement. Since we have this hope, we use great boldness of speech. Do you think Moses used bold words? You think he was bold in his declaration? You see, you know, Moses complained he wasn't a very good public speaker. Some say Paul even says the same of himself. But again, it's, it's the content of the message. We use great confidence, we have great hope, we have great expectation in regards to what the new covenant describes, and he gets into this. So unlike Moses, Moses has this veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily, so they could not watch it fade. Again, this is, this is our life experience. You go sit in the Old Testament, you go sit in the rules of God, and we can do good for a little bit, right? But over time, just like this glory fading over time, our behaviors fade, our, our opinions fade, we drift. It's the same picture that is being given. Their minds were blinded, hard minds, hard hearts, veiled. Again, this this description of the veil. Um, you know, you have a veil that is separating the people from the courtyard. As you go into the tabernacle, there's another veil that lets you into the holy place where you have um, the altar of incense and the table of showbread and, and the, the menorah, the light. And then there's another veil, and that veil separates from the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant, those Ten Commandments were in that Ark, that box, the mercy seat, the seat of compassion over those words, over his law. This is where I'm going to meet you. All of those layers of separation, we are told, are taken away in Jesus Christ. So when we sat in Hebrews, where Jesus is better, where we are welcome to boldly come before God's throne of grace, why? Because every single hindrance of ourselves, of our culture, of sin, of our lack of holiness, all that separates God from us has been removed through Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross. That's why... The gospel is wow. Everything about our God is glorious. And again, he uses moments like this. These these mornings, whether it's a Bible study, conversation over coffee, Sunday mornings, as often as we gather together, we're reminding each other about how glorious our God is because look at what he's done. Every single one of us will die. There's no victory over that death apart from Christ. Every single one of us is separated and removed from God. And then we hear the call of God through the cross of Jesus Christ. We hear His Spirit speaking into our minds and into our hearts, directing us towards Him. Those days before we were even saved, you can sit and meditate on On all the different ways that God was introducing himself to you. And you can still remember it because he's written those things upon your heart. You can remember that. And you step into that relationship and it's glorious. The veil is removed. You want to know him. You want to be in his presence. You want to obey all of his laws and do good and do right all the time. And then we look at ourselves in the mirror every single day. Well, I messed up there. Well, I messed up there. We, we fail every single day. But what does he constantly do? What does he constantly encourage us to do? I am transforming you day by day into the image of myself. The veil is taken away in Christ. Those, there are many who listen to the word of God being read where there's still... Blocks over their heart. Their heart is still hard. And this is where we step into prayer for ourselves and for others. God created us a clean heart, created them a clean heart. Lord, soften their heart to fall in love with Jesus Christ. And then I love this promise. Anyone, anyone who turns to the Lord, every barrier is taken away. The Lord is the spirit. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Outside of God, we are in bondage to sin. We are in bondage under the law. We are in bondage to supernatural powers. We are in bondage to our flesh. We are bound to death. But where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And what's odd about this declaration of freedom is it's not the freedom to do whatever we want to do. That liberty is the freedom from all of those things. And now we are bound to Jesus. And with an unveiled face, beholding as in the mirror, the glory of the Lord. This is the reality of heaven. When he has recreated the heavens and the earth, when he has recreated us, when God's gonna look into our face, he's gonna see himself because he will have fully recreated us in his image and in his likeness, transformed into the same image from glory to glory. What a promise. Ah, Lord, may your glory and your majesty never be lost in our minds and our hearts, Lord. I confess to you. Ah. I get my eyes on myself. I get my eyes on things of this world. I get my eyes on my, my covetousness, and my behavior. Just stuff, Lord. I get my eyes off of you. I mess around, be sarcastic, get filled with my pride, cover my insecurities. I do all these things to deflect, Lord. It is in you and you alone that the soul of man and woman is satisfied. Everything else fails. The greatest experiences in life, Lord, they don't, they don't hold a, a spark to what it is to be like you, to be one with you. We long for that day to see you to see your glory we give you thanks lord that you have revealed your glory to us in this life We give you thanks for introducing yourself to us we give you thanks that you provide to us the knowledge of who you are we are in wonder at you lord forgive us when we try to boil our relationship with you down to some kind of system pursuing our our own righteousness, Lord. We want to give you thanks for giving us your righteousness. We want to give you thanks for taking away, for removing every barrier to you. Thank you for liberty. Thank you for transforming us. Thank you for your patience with us, Lord. Thank you for the knowledge that you are love and that you have created us to love like you. Thank you for your word that you've given to us, Lord, that we can know these things and be reminded of these things often. Thank you for this place, Lord, that you've given to us in this time and in this season to fellowship not just with you, but to fellowship with others who love you. Give you thanks for all the diversity that's here, Lord, all the different personalities, all the different life experiences. I see you in them. I see your word written on their hearts. I see their life experiences, Lord, all those ways that you've touched them, that pours out of their mouth and through the testimony of your glory. Give us ears to hear your spirit through one another, Lord. Give us those eyes of discernment as we look at each other and as we serve each other to be the helper that you are to us. May we we be that same helper to one another, Lord. Reveal to us your glory and continue to transform us from glory to glory. Thank you for your promises that in your son Jesus are yes and amen.